0: For purposes of civil liability, the torturer has become, like the pirate and slave trader before him, an enemy of all mankind.
1: But we've also seen uh, challenges as uh, two food crises, the biggest financial and economic crisis since the 1930s, and the WTO has remained solid in the midst of this tempest. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, the Alien Tort Statute should not afford a cause of action to address the extraterritorial conduct of a foreign corporation.
0: 751 Europeans have been elected to directly represent citizens from 28 different nations in all their diversities, with all their differences, with all their different outlooks on lives. But you all come
1: together here.
0: Welcome to Nomisfone, a podcast series about current global legal issues produced by law students at Tilburg University's Global Law Program. I'm Jade, and today we're discussing whether musicians can seek legal recourse against politicians using their music within the United States. But let's backtrack a little. I want to cast your memory back to the last US election in 2016, and specifically the campaign process which saw huge rallies and campaign ads from both the Democrats and the Republicans, both of which use music from different artists, whether this is music used at a rally as an intermission, entrance music, or general background music. And it was following all of this that we saw, for example, musicians such as Adele and Neil Young publicly stating that they had not given permission for the use of their songs by then-Republican candidate Donald Trump.
1: A man who I have loved and
0: respected my entire life. My father, Donald J. Trump. (laughs) Hey yeah. that I wondered if there was anything musicians could do legally to prevent their music being used in both a rally setting and a campaign ad by politicians they did not agree with politically, or for musicians who were seeking to keep their music apolitical. Hi!
1: Hi, let's see... In
0: order to answer this question, I sat down with a gentleman named Lincoln Banlow who has experience in litigating exactly these kinds of cases.
1: Okay, uh, my name is Lincoln Banlow. I'm a partner at Fox Rothschild in Century City, California. Uh, I uh, uh, also am a professor at the USC where I teach both media law and copyright law. Uh, I uh, practice exclusively media and entertainment litigation, um, which means I'm a trial lawyer when uh, uh, problems arise for clients in the entertainment industry I also do a lot of clearance work, which means I'm reviewing scripts and films and various other things uh, for legal issues before they are released to the public. And by way of introduction, I have been involved in a number of cases involving the use of musical works in political campaigns.
0: For most people, this is a completely new topic. And maybe our only reference to it would be the comments made a few years ago by the outspoken dropkick Murphys. So... What political situations are we talking about when we consider musicians seeking legal recourse for music used?
1: Typically, the uh, the context in which this arises is is really two ways, and this has been going on since at least uh, the early '80s when Ronald Reagan used "Born in the USA" by Bruce Springsteen to to his chagrin. So this has been going on for quite some years. Um, typically, it comes up in one of two ways, and it's important to distinguish the two because they have different consequences. One is. A song is just played in a political rally, uh, and that raises various issues. The other is um, um, people using songs in campaign spots. So they're actually syncing the song into a new work, uh, either making a parody of the song or, or doing an, a spot in which uh, a portion of the song they think helps convey their message. So they throw that in there. So it's one of those two contexts where we see it come up.
0: Okay, so maybe, uh, I mean, there's clearly a very distinct areas. So maybe if we touch upon the first area first with, uh, to do with political rallies. Um, so as a, a musician, um, if, if your music is played at a political rally, do you have any, any means of, of achieving legal recourse against that? Can you stop a politician from using music at a political rally?
1: Okay, well, there's, two, there's a couple of things you have to distinguish. So um, the use of music at a political rally is a public performance of the song, and that is one of the rights protected by copyright is your right to publicly perform. Um, most rallies, most venues of any kind of nature, however, have these things called ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC blanket licenses. That is, uh, you know, any, uh, a bar, a restaurant, a venue, whenever they um, uh, know they're going to play a lot of music, they get these blanket licenses to do so. And so typically a venue will have such a license. So from a copyright standpoint, the public performance at a rally of a song is usually authorized. It's allowed by the blanket license uh, held by the venue. Um, the second issue becomes, is there any other legal theories that artists can use to um, uh, uh to to go after the use of their music. And that's where there's some gray area because potentially you could use right of publicity law. You could use trademark infringement law. And what you're saying is, this is a use of of my voice um, without permission. That could theoretically give rise to a uh, right of publicity claim. Or it's, um, you are using a song in a way that implies endorsement or affiliation by me. And that would be a federal Lanham Act claim. So that's the area that artists are exploring right now is um, can they use other alternatives besides copyright law in, in the context of a public performance that's licensed by a blanket license? Can they use something else to accomplish it? Um, and that's, a, that's an unclear issue because there's the doctrine of copyright preemption um, that basically says claims that really are the equivalent of copyright claims are preempted. So if you don't have the copyright claim, you don't have the claim. Uh, and so that doctrine comes up. Um, there's also a law that says the Federal Lanham Act, the trademark statute that artists might use, only applies to commercial speech. And a political campaign or rally is not commercial speech. It's, in fact, purely protected speech. Uh, I've, I've had that issue come up in one of my cases. Uh, there's, there's First Amendment protections that are going to apply to right of publicity claims. Um, so it's, it's not impossible. I would say that it would be interesting to see music used that seems to very clearly unequivocally imply endorsement or affiliation. I think courts would be open to those kind of claims. I don't think the facts of these kind of matters lend themselves to that. I think people know, you know, candidates are picking cool music. You know they're not trying to imply, hey, Van Halen supports us. They're just they're just picking, you know, they're just picking a cool Van Halen song. So I I think it's a stretch to do that. Um, uh, But in that kind of use at a campaign rally, probably some difficulties for an artist to stop that. Now, from a from a non legal perspective, the last thing you as a candidate want. Is to give some group the opportunity to get a big media splash about how much they hate you. You know, you don't want that. So, from a from a from a practical standpoint, you have to clear these songs to make sure it's not going to cause a PR nightmare for you.
0: Clearly, this is pretty established, and, and it's really exciting to see the new um, the new arguments that might come up in uh, to do with political rallies. Um, do you, do you see that? Um, there's actually a need for people to establish new arguments about like trademarks and such. I mean, if, if realistically do, how many people will actually associate the songs that are played at rallies with musicians? Like, is that actually, do you you think that's actually reasonable to, to, to be developing these arguments? I,
1: I, well, I, I don't think, as I said, I don't think people tend to assume, Oh, because I'm hearing a song at a rally, that particular group must uh, endorse me um, I, I think what happens is is that and by the way most of the times almost all the time this is a Republican using someone's music and uh, uh, the artist being upset it almost never happens the other way occasionally a Democrat will use a country western song and that artist will be unhappy with it but for the most part it, it works one way politically um, I, I think it's a matter of 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 it's an odd concept because it's not really recognized in U.S. law. It's recognized quite a bit in European law, as you guys understand. And it's this concept of moral rights. We don't really have that here in the U.S. We have it to very limited extent. But uh, that's really what these artists are saying. They have the moral right to sort of control uh, of uses of their work that they find sort of politically or personally obnoxious. Um, you know, there's also I mean, there's occasions, like I said, with, with Reagan's use of born in the USA I think, you know, Springsteen's obviously quite a lefty liberal uh, political figure. But um, I think his contention was that's a misuse of the song, because if you really listen to the lyrics, it's really about how things are crummy in the USA. And Reagan was using it as sort of a, you know, life is wonderful. Here. Um, um, so you got to be careful about that. But I, I, I'm not sure um, what I think at the end of the day, if American artists pursue this, you, they, they pose the risk of a court saying that's what you're really trying to do is establish some moral rights, and we just don't have that here. Now, the effect of that may be to get our US legislatures looking at, at, more at the issue of potentially adding moral rights to our copyright law.
0: So, I mean, if we like, obviously, there's a very big difference between playing music at a rally and using music within. Political campaigns. If I just if I picked out one, it, like what it, that it really resonates with the like traditional use of just using music in the video, it would be Brown versus McCain. What is the key difference between using this music, which was used in a video to um, publicize McCain? It was oh, it was to publicize um, a stance against Barack
1: Obama. Or that was my case. Well, uh, I represented John McCain and and the campaign in that case. Lower taxes and less spending will protect your job and create new ones. That'll restore our country. Stand up with me. Let's fight for America. I'm John McCain, and I approve this message. Factually, what happened in that case is a member of the Ohio Republican Party put together a campaign spot when McCain was heading to Ohio for a rally. Uh, So it wasn't put together by the McCain campaign, but we'll put that aside. So, a member of the Ohio Republican Party put together a campaign spot, and it's really about energy policy. Um, and um, uh, the the spot opens with um, uh, uh, John, you know, talking all about John McCain's uh, complex energy policy, and then it shows a clip, uh, it showed a clip of Barack Obama on a campaign spot in which he said, "We could save lots of gas by properly inflating our tires." Uh, and um, the contrast was made that perhaps John McCain has a more complicated, detailed energy policy versus uh, maybe Obama does not. And then, then towards the end of the campaign, or t- toward the end of the spot, a very brief, not a long portion—I think it was nine seconds—of the the uh, Jackson Brown song "Running on Empty" was played. Now, if you if you looked politically in the U.S., and I did a ton of research on this, the, using that phrase "running on empty." to connotate that someone has no ideas, that they're out of good ideas, is a very worn political cliche in in U.S. politics. Every political party uses it, the Democrats, the Republicans. If you you check that phrase on Google, you'll see that every candidate gets up there and says, the other side's running on empty. Um, So it's become quite a cliche, and that's why it was used. It was used to make that political statement about Barack Obama. Uh, uh, much to the displeasure of Jackson Brown, who is a very, very left-wing, liberal kind of politician, no question about it. Uh, And so he brought um, the litany of claims, uh, right, of publicity, because it is the use of his voice um, without his permission. He brought copyright claims as the owner of the copyright in the composition, um, and uh, we litigated that matter. So obviously when you incorporate a song into a campaign spot, that's a synchronization That requires separate permission that would not be covered by a blanket license. The ASCAP BMI type license is a very different thing. Uh, And so barring, uh, essentially, for copyright purposes, a fair use defense, if the fair use defense doesn't bar the claim, and for purposes of right of publicity claims, if uh, a uh, uh, First Amendment defense doesn't apply, uh, or in the trademark claim, we, you know, we made the arguments that trademark law doesn't really approach political speech, it's only commercial speech, these arguments. So we made a number of those arguments, uh, all of which, unfortunately, at least at that point in time for me, uh, were rejected by the court. And typically, in these kind of uses in a, in a campaign spot, the problem from a fair use standpoint is oftentimes you're not really commenting on the song itself. You're not you're not ridiculing it. You're not criticizing it. You're not criticizing the artist of that song. What you're doing is is you're using the song to make a separate point, which is someone's running on empty, or you know, if the song's Crazy Town. This guy's crazy. Whatever it is, you're not really pointing your 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 ire and your criticism at the song itself. Uh, and the case law in the U.S. is is not that good if you're making that kind of fair use argument. Typically, courts are more inclined to say, look, obviously, if you want it. If you wanted to say, Jackson Brown's an idiot and his songs suck, here's a couple portions of them, you can see how bad they are. Well, that's going to probably be a fair use. I mean, that's that's you are criticizing him and his music. You can't really effectively criticize music without going, here's some of it. Um, so that would be a different story. So there are cases in which um, use of other people's songs in a, in a campaign spot has been allowed, and typically those cases involve fact patterns where you're making fun of, or you're commenting on that actual song itself and why that song's inappropriate or something of that nature to, to make, to make a point about the political candidate, uh, without those kind of facts, then that kind of use is going to be problematic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Something that, uh, I picked up when I was reading the case, um, for this was, um, the fact that the, the judge didn't want to rule that, um, campaigns were not, would um, not be commercial use. Um, I was just wondering what, what you
1: thought about that. Well, I've, I've been, um, <laughs> I've unfortunately been on the losing end of that twice because I currently have, I currently have a case where I'm on the other end of it in terms of my client is a songwriter who wrote a, a pretty well-known song back in the 70s called Times of Your Life. Um, and his song was used in a campaign spot by the Club for Growth, which was doing a campaign spot about Russ Feingold, who was was then running for Senate in Wisconsin, uh, who ultimately lost, Um, they used his song "Times of Your Life" to do a parody, to to do a uh, a rip on Feingold, and about how back when he was in the Senate, things were terrible. Um, And so we're suing over that, and we brought copyright infringement and Lanham Act claims. The law is split in the United States. Um, In there is some case law that says that. Uh, the Lanham Act addresses more than simply commercial speech, and it might actually apply to political campaigns. That's what the court found in the McCain case, which, you know, at that point, I wanted to make the argument that no, it doesn't apply to political speech, and the court disagreed. In uh, the D.C. Circuit, where my current case is pending, there's a case law that says the contrary that the Lanham Act is limited only to commercial speech, uh, and therefore we have no Lanham Act claim. Um, which means there's a split in the circuits, and perhaps ultimately the U.S. Supreme Court will take a case on this to decide the issue. Um, so it goes either way. Um, um, I think there's, there are some cases that I have found um, that indicate courts would extend the Lanham Act to things beyond commercial speech. Uh, so um, that is an open issue right now.
0: I didn't realize there was such a dichotomy between states on this kind of issue. It, and, and well, I
1: mean, different federal circuits. The different federal right. circuits. As you know, we have like 13 different federal circuits, mm-hmm. and they don't always do things the same. And that's one of the primary ways the case gets up to the U.S. Supreme Court, is if there's a split between circuits, they're going to be the ultimate umpire to make the decision. Right.
0: So why, why do you think that the, a case hasn't gotten to that level yet? Is it to do with settlements out of court, or is it to do with…
1: Yeah. I think primarily the cases don't proceed that much further after sort of district court rulings and things of that nature. You know, the, the political campaigns end. you know, John McCain lost, and there was a lot of, you lose a little steam and how much you want to litigate these things. Uh, and so I think primarily just no one's kind of fought it that far along.
0: A case that reaches onto a bit of a different patch of, of a campaign territory, if we say, um, would be the Henley versus Devoir case.
1: Well, the, Hen- the Henley case, which is a case that um, I rely on pretty strongly in my current case, um, it's good law for me right now. In that, um, that was somebody who took a-, a Don Henley song, Don Henley of the Eagles, um, and reworked it, made it a uh, made it a song. I'm trying to remember the facts of that case, I think it was a song making fun of Nancy Pelosi or something, um, and. Uh, So rework the words entirely. Use the same melody and and concept behind it, but rework the words entirely to make a rip on a uh, opposing political candidate. And the court there held that that's not a fair use. Um, And that's the kind of thing I was talking about earlier: is that typically the courts really want you to be making fun of the thing itself directly. Um, And and there's some uh, pretty on point, particularly in my Ninth Circuit in California. Uh, case law on that involving the Dr. Seuss estate, but um, typically the court wants you to be making fun of the song itself, the artist, something of that nature. And and that kind of use isn't. And that's my same point in my current litigation on behalf of, of my artist, uh, because they took his song to make fun of Russ Feingold, but not to make fun of the song. Um, they, our contention, I think the facts will prove, is they just took it because it's a catchy melody that people will recognize um and it'll draw them in uh and that kind of use where courts tend to say look you're too lazy to come up with your own melody to draw people in so you go get somebody else's that doesn't sound like fair use to us um and so those kind of and that happens all the time you know people will 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 steal somebody else's song to to make fun of some other point uh that kind of use is going to be very difficult to make out a fair use defense
0: something that's also a Really interesting fight for this case, I think, is, is the distinction that the court makes between parody and satire. Um,
1: yeah, that's exactly it. Par- a true parody makes fun of the subject matter that you're using. And a satire uses the subject matter to make fun of something else. So the very good example of that, as I said, was the Dr. Seuss case in the Ninth Circuit. And there, um, some authors had taken the Dr. Seuss sort of sound and the Dr. Seuss kind of characters... And they made a book called The Cat Not in the Hat. And it was all about it was all about O.J. Simpson and the O.J. Simpson murder trial. And it talked about lawyers and the American judicial system and and the wealthy getting better fairness than others, blah, blah, blah. And it made fun of all of those things, but it didn't make fun of Dr. Seuss at all or Dr. Seuss's characters. At least that was the argument that it didn't. I think there was somewhat of an argument that by taking these very innocent childlike characters and putting them in a very non-innocent uh, you know, murder trial scenario, that kind of makes fun of it, but I, I think that's a tough argument. It really wasn't being used to make fun of Dr. Seuss. Now, that's a satire. I still think some aspects of satire, in fact, courts have said this, should be protected under the fair use doctrine. Um, and so I, I don't think we should throw that out, that, that if it's a satire, there's no chance it's fair use, Um, but it's better from a fair use standpoint that you be doing a true parody, making fun of the subject rather than making fun of other things.
0: I guess maybe just as like a lighthearted send off, um, maybe you can just tell us what you think politicians and musicians should know.
1: Well, in, in general, what I think is happening every four or so years is that, you know, Political campaigns have to deal with things very quickly and on the fly. They have a lot of sort of young, rabid volunteers. And you get, for example, in my McCain case, just some low-level campaign uh, person who's 22 years old or something, doesn't know the faintest thing about copyright law or write a publicity or trademark. They uh, 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 think something's cool, and they uh, think, well, you know, everybody knows this song. I'll just throw it in there. And they get themselves in trouble. Um, I have seen over the course of time that political campaigns are getting wiser and they're getting uh, intellectual property counsel, making sure they have somebody overseeing everything. Um, but these things do happen fast, and and there's a need to sort of hit the ground running on some things. And so occasionally that's going to bring up claims. Um, I do think because it's becoming more and more prevalent, you know, I think uh, like you said, the dropkick Murphys—the last thing you want when you're running a campaign is to have someone tweet, you know, we literally hate you stop using our music, (laughs) you know, that's just not going to be good for you. So I think, I think the prevalence of these kind of moments happening is going to get campaigns thinking a little bit smarter about these things and being more careful about these things. Um, I do think over the course of the next uh, few years or so, although again, it'll probably be quiet until another four years from now for the most part, but I do think it'll be interesting to see, this intersection between trademark and copyright law. Using trademark law to fill some gaps that maybe copyright law doesn't fill, there is some U.S. Supreme Court case law that seems to say you can't do that, you can't, usually, you, you can't use trademark to make an end run around copyright limitations, um, but it'll be interesting to see how far that gets extended. Um, um, but uh, I do, as I said, I really, truly appreciate the Van Halens of the world that just say, just keep us out of all of it, so that we can just you know, be
0: about the rock and roll. Yeah. So what are the takeaways from all of this? Well, if you're a musician and your work is being played at a rally, which you do not necessarily support, or if you just want to remain apolitical, then you should follow what has been dubbed the Van Halen approach, as Lincoln Banlow astutely pointed out. And if you're a politician making a campaign ad, then get permission from the artist, because remember kids, consent is fun. Nomos Phone Podcast is a production of students at Tilburg University's Global Law Program. This episode was produced by me, Jade Knight. We given to Tilburg University for supporting this podcast and Mr. Lincoln Bandler for his contribution. Watch out for more episodes coming soon, and you can find all of our episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you for joining us, and until next time.